Welcome to Counterspin, your weekly look behind the headlines. I'm Janine Jackson. This week on Counterspin, listeners to this show may take it as a given that if you care about social, racial, economic justice, you have to also care about media because corporate news media promote narratives that shape public opinion, public policy, and all of our lives. Now we understand that tales that mainstream news media tell every day, health care for everyone is too expensive, people of color are the main source of crime, rich people contribute to the economy while workers just take from it. That Those are not demonstrable truth, but instead reflect the interests and priorities of media owners and sponsors. But it wasn't always this way. There was a time, not long ago, when folks would tell you, if it's in the paper, it must be true. And media's idea of the limits of political debate and political possibility ought to be your limits, too, if you're sensible. Undoing that myth with criticism and activism and promoting alternative sources of information has been the project of FAIR, the worker collective media watch group that produces this show, for 35 years now. We're celebrating that anniversary by, well, by working more, basically. But today, we will take a look back at FAIR's beginnings with founder Jeff Cohen. After starting FAIR with Martin Lee and Pia Gallegos in 1986, Jeff went on to be founding director of the Park Center for Independent Media at Ithaca College, and he's now co-founder and policy advisor at the online initiative Roots Action. In between, he was a pundit on CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, and he wrote the book Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. Fair founder, Jeff Cohen, this week on Counterspin. But first, a very quick look back at some recent press. The Tokyo Olympics have showcased a lot about U.S. corporate media, let's put it that way. Just one thing, USA Today tweeted a quote from Puerto Rican athlete Jasmine Camacho Quinn, who won a gold medal in the 100-meter hurdles. According to USA Today, she said of Puerto Rico, quote, I am pretty sure everybody is excited. For such a small territory, it gives little people hope, close quote. Only USA Today had to put the word territory in brackets because Camacho Quinn didn't say it. She didn't call Puerto Rico a territory. She called it a country which is how many Puerto Ricans think of their island, not as a territory that belongs to the U.S., but as a country that has been colonized by the U.S. USA Today could have contextualized her statement, but by heavy-handedly correcting it, they were censoring the very hope that Camacho Quinn was celebrating. You're listening to Counterspin, brought to you each week by the Media Watch Group FAIR. Jeff Cohen founded FAIR 
fairness and accuracy in reporting in 1986 and was executive director for many years. He went on to be the founding director of the Park Center for Independent Media at Ithaca College, and he has since co-founded the online initiative Roots Action, where he is policy advisor. He's been a regular pundit on CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, and he's the author of the book Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media. He joins us now by phone from Woodstock, New York. Welcome back to Counterspin, Jeff Cohen. Always great to be on Counterspin. (laughs) Well, let's start at the start. In the early 1980s, you were involved in activism around U.S. policy in Central America, police brutality, nuclear energy. What made you think that new work was needed around news media? How did that connect with or or grow from those other things that you were concerned with? Well, I was an activist in Los Angeles and Uh, Even though I had good relations with a number of mainstream reporters, I could see the the political bias against activism, against progressives in the mainstream corporate media. It was just clear to me. And I used to be one of these people that consumed a lot of mainstream news, including mainstream television news. And I'd find myself yelling at the television screen. So I think it was inevitable that at some point I was going to do something about the problem of corporate media bias, corporate uh, uh, media censorship and exclusion. In the early 80s, I taught uh, classes at, uh, at the New American School in Los Angeles held in the First Unitarian Church on how to get media coverage for your social movement or your your progressive or uh, nonprofit. So I was always in the media frame of mind. And the person we have to thank for 35 years of FAIR, perhaps more than anyone, is the right-wing police chief of Los Angeles at the, in the 70s and 80s, Chief Darrell Gates. Because, as you mentioned, Janine, one of my main issues for years in Los Angeles as an advocate, as a journalist, as an activist, was challenging and exposing political repression, political spying on progressive groups, political repression aimed at the black liberation movement of the 60s and 70s. That was my field. In doing that advocacy in Los Angeles, if you criticize the LAPD, the LAPD in the 70s and early 80s would spy on you. And they spied on me. They spied on my allies. Uh, along with my colleague, Linda Valentino, we, we convinced the Southern California ACLU to sue the LAPD Red Squad over political surveillance of nonviolent and non-criminal groups. And after years of struggle and depositions and interrogations, we were about to go to trial in 1984, and we'd, we'd exposed embarrassing spying of the L.A. police on farm worker leader Cesar Chavez, on Reverend Jesse Jackson every time he came to L.A., on the first black mayor of L.A., uh, Tom Bradley, uh, on Jackson Brown, on Stevie Wonder. I mean, I, for years exposed in, in mainstream dailies 
that we're covering the progress of our of our civil lawsuit, all of this outrageous spying. And in 1984, the city settled, and they settled for almost two million dollars. They gave all sorts of damages in the settlement to victims of spying. That included me. And the lawyers on the case, I was a junior attorney uh, by the time we were ready to go to trial. I got a bonus as an attorney. So I took the money and I traveled. And one of the places I went to was London, England, where they had a group that we've often referred to as British Fair, the campaign for press and broadcasting freedom. Saw the great stuff they were doing in England. And that sort of gave me the idea to come back to the U.S. and start FAIR. Well, we should, of course, also shout out Martin Lee and Pia Gallegos, who were in at the beginning of FAIR. Three people, a card table and a phone, um, as office lore has it. Um, But people may not remember, in 1986, when you were getting ready to start FAIR, media were not problematized, if I can say it that way. It, It wasn't seen as an issue where the public even had standing to demand yeah. change or redress, you know? So did you have trouble in the beginning convincing people that news media were not like meta phenomena or a secondary concern? Yeah, you've, you've really nailed it. I mean, before I started FAIR and in the first year or two of FAIR, that was something I would do. I would ask for a show of hands. I, I'd speak to big activist groups. Let me see, how many of you have ever protested outside of a federal building? All the hands would go up. How many of you have ever protested at a a corporate headquarters over uh, race or gender or labor mistreatment? All the hands go up. How many have protested outside of City Hall? All the hands go up. And I ask these same progressive activists, how many have ever protested outside of a mainstream news outlet? And almost no hands would go up. So that, I think, was the essence of why we needed FAIR and why FAIR took off in the middle 1980s, it became clear that if you're progressive oriented, if you're a critical thinker, if you're someone who's civically active, you have to be active around the problem of corporate media bias, corporate media censorship, exclusion, racism. And I think that's something that FAIR really contributed to the broad progressive community. Well, FAIR emphasizes that, you know, we are critics because we are pro-journalist, you know. We support thoughtful, independent, critical reporting. Many current and former FAIR staffers were themselves journalists. And you spent some time on the other side of the camera, as it were, from which we get your book, Cable News Confidential. Well, a lot of that experience, I'm sure, confirmed the concerns that led you to start FAIR, but what did you see from the inside, from seeing the sausage being made, if you will, that surprised you or educated you or that you think people might not know? Well, when I was on the inside, I started at CNN appearing as a regular guest representing FAIR. And then Fox News started, uh, and I was on Fox News every week representing FAIR. And then MSNBC, I went over there and I was on the air every day as just a media pundit. Um, And the thing that I saw from the inside is that everything Fair said about the mainstream media was true, (laughs) but even truer than I knew. 
you know, the the thing that uh, Fair talked about from the beginning is the impact of corporate ownership. And what I saw, especially when my career came to a crashing end in, within television as a pundit at MSNBC, is that these institutions are strict corporate hierarchies. It really matters who owns the company. I mean, I knew who my boss was. I reported to her. I knew who her boss was. She reported to the president of the channel. I knew who his boss was, the president of MSNBC. He reported basically to NBC and General Electric and the guy that General Electric had appointed to run the NBC channels was a guy who came out of General Electric Plastics Division. So, I mean, the the thing that I saw from the inside as a mainstream TV pundit after having started FAIR is that, uh, you know, FAIR doesn't know how bad it is. (laughs) And I remember calling you guys at FAIR when, you know, outrageous things had happened to me at MSNBC or even when I was at Fox, you know, and I'd be like, this is worse than we thought it would be. (laughs) You know, as bad as we think it is, it's even worse. And I think uh, a lot of Counterspin listeners will know that when my career came to a crashing end and I was a senior producer of the Phil Donahue show on MSNBC, uh, it came to a crashing end because MSNBC would not allow anyone to do journalism and question the march toward the invasion of Iraq. And there was quotas. You know, if we booked a guest who was anti-war, we had to book two that were pro-war. If we booked a guest on the Donahue primetime show, uh, a couple guests who were on the left, we had to have three on the right. When we, a, a producer could book Michael Moore, she was told to balance Michael Moore. You have to have three right-wingers. I mean, this kind of crap that I was witnessing from the inside, as you said, Janine, witnessing how the sausage is made, uh, revealed to me that all of the critiques that Fair had put out about the ultimate content of the news and how detached from reality the content can be, I saw how it happened. And it happened because of corporate ownership and timidity on the people who were the top media executives who were often less journalists than they were diplomats and and corporatists. Right. I, I remember you telling us that when you first started uh, you know, giving talks about media criticism and activism that reporters would come up to you afterwards and say, you know, it's true what you're saying, but it's not as bad as you say. And then not yeah. that many years later, they would come up and say, it's true what you're saying, but it's so much worse than you're even talking yeah, you about. You really nailed it, because in the late 80s, I mean, you know, in the first issue of Extra, Fair's newsletter, we had an article, a cover article by Ben Bagdikian about the concentration of media ownership into fewer and fewer corporate hands. And in the late 80s, I would often hear from mainstream reporters, I love that, you know, FAIR exists, keep up the good work, but you're overemphasizing corporate ownership. You know, you, we, a, a lot of the problem is us and that we aren't willing to push and you're overemphasizing corporate ownership. And then the mergers got worse. And the entertainment companies take over the news and the layoffs, uh, television news. Yeah. 
And before you know it, as you say, these same journalists who thought we were overemphasizing corporate ownership were saying, you really nailed it. You were right. You were ahead of the ahead of your time. Well, in some ways, of course, the media landscape in 2021 is quite different than 1986 when FAIR began. There wasn't social media to this extent. There were more local papers. But then you look at coverage of Cuba or Venezuela, and really you need a freaking calendar to tell you that it's not 1986. You know, um, if I could just get you to talk about what's changed and what hasn't um, in low these past 35 years. Yeah, what, what hasn't changed is you mentioned that if the executive branch of the U.S. government has an official enemy overseas, that the coverage will be completely biased and exaggerated and extreme uh, against uh, those governments. And if it's a government uh, that the U.S. executive branch is supportive of, the mainstream media coverage will be softer than it should be. That was horrific in the 80s when we started and Reagan was waging wars of terrorism against Central America. And as you say, it's horrific today uh, when the media will cover you know, demonstrations in Cuba uh, in huge fashion. Uh, but the demonstrations that are bigger uh, and have been going on for months in Colombia just don't get the coverage. Mm-hmm. And you need FAIR to point that out. I would say the biggest difference between now and 1986 is that the right-wing media is much more powerful today. I mean, we set up FAIR, yeah. and there was no Fox News. Right. Limbaugh hadn't even gone national. Talk radio wasn't... Uh, nationally right-wing, although it was right-wing even in liberal cities uh, in the mid-80s. But the right-wing media has gotten bigger and more powerful and more dominant. And then, as you mentioned, we have social media that reinforces all of the myths and concoctions of right-wing media. Uh, I'd say that's one of the biggest differences. That's the bad news. The good news is there is another difference in the 35 years, and that's that independent, progressive, journalistic-oriented media, non-corporate media, are more powerful now than ever. In 1986, we didn't have Democracy Now!, we didn't have The Intercept, we didn't have CommonDreams.org and Truthout.org. The Nation was a small magazine. Now it's thenation.com. It's because of the Internet that independent, journalistically sound, progressive-oriented publications have been able to grow. Are they as powerful as the right-wing media? They're not even close. But they're more powerful than progressive media have ever been, I would argue, in U.S. history more powerful than the big socialist press before World War I, more powerful than the counterculture alternative weeklies of the late 60s, early 70s, the height of the new left media. Uh, So that's the good news is independent progressive media, the kind of journalists that you feature on Counterspin regularly, that's bigger. Uh, People can come out of journalism school and they don't have to work for the New York Times or NBC News. There are alternatives where they can get a decent salary, not as good as NBC News 
or New York Times, perhaps, but they can earn a living doing journalism in the independent progressive sector. That's a big improvement since 1986. Absolutely. And probably as a result of that, I would say a difference is in orders of magnitude increase in sort of public savviness and understanding about media. The idea we were just talking about, the idea that you shouldn't just swallow what comes at you from the nightly news. I feel like people are more critical about media, and that has to do with groups like FAIR, you know, making clear that you have to think about, you know, the news that you're consuming. And you shouldn't just think, oh, it's on the TV, so it must be true. You know, that's another thing that's changed. Yeah, I mean, I I believe FAIR has played that crucial role that everywhere I go, and remember, I, I basically quit being the executive director of FAIR in 19, uh, about year 2000. A while ago. And, you know, and you guys have had 21 years of incredible work since then. And everywhere I go, people praise me for the last issue of Extra, <laughs> which, of course, I had nothing to do with, or the last uh you know, uh, broadcast of Counterspin, which I also had nothing to do with. So there's no doubt that there's more savvy among critical thinkers and progressive people and liberal-minded people that you can't take the media lying down. Right. You know, during the height of the nuclear freeze movement at FAIR, we would say better to be media active than radioactive. (laughs) And this idea that you have to challenge mainstream media. If if you're uh, uh, an activist, if you're civic-minded, you have to support independent media. You have to donate to groups like FAIR. That that the media is an arena for struggle. The media is an arena for activism. And I think, you know, I go back, you were there, I was there at all these huge media reform conferences and these media democracy conferences. And FAIR has played a big role from 1986 onward in this notion uh, that, you know, as you say, you don't swallow the media whole. You've got to challenge what they're feeding you. I think FAIR has been instrumental in getting people to question who are the sources and experts in mainstream media? It's something that FAIR pioneered in, in these studies of Nightline, the study of uh, Public TV's NewsHour, the studies of who are experts and sources that are constantly quoted in the New York Times and who are not quoted. And I think we've got a lot of people that pay attention to, wow, there were missing points of view in that New York Times article. There were missing experts in that NBC News or Time Magazine story. And uh, I'll say this, Janine, one of the interesting things for me in the years of working on FAIR's newsletter extra, uh, working at FAIR, was talking to the sources that were used by mainstream media regularly, and even those sources would complain about bias. I'm thinking of, for example, the U.S., Catholic Bishops Conference. Mm -hmm. They would always complain to us and say, the mainstream media only quotes us about our opposition to abortion. And they never quote us on our opposition to war or our opposition to poverty or our advocacy 
for immigrants' rights. We only get quoted on abortion. So it was fascinating. And, and, you know, during the 90s, we would talk to Human Rights Watch. And they said, um, for years, Helsinki Watch, which was their, their group that monitored uh, uses and repression in the communist countries of Eastern Europe, they were always quoted. But um, what was then called America's Watch which used the same exact criteria to criticize the U.S.-supported human rights-abusing regimes of Central and Latin America, they would rarely get quoted. So it was always fascinating for me, uh, having we did a lot, I think, in getting consumers to understand you have to look critically at which sources and experts are quoted and which sources and experts are are ignored. But it was always fascinating to talk to the sources themselves on how they were misused by the New York Times and other news outlets. In 1986, I feel like I'm bringing us back to the beginning that, that, that folks thought, you know, well, you don't like what's in the paper, don't buy it. You know, yep. if you don't like TV news, well, turn it off. I feel that now that sounds a bit like, well, if you don't like climate change, just close the window. You don't hear that much anymore. And I believe, you know, it's it's to fair's credit. Uh, you know, I used to see the bumper stickers uh, kill your television. You know, you might kill your television. You might have turned your off. Your neighbor is listening to Fox News or thinks MSNBC is the left-wing alternative to Fox News on the right, which it isn't. You know, other people are getting misinformation on a daily or hourly basis from mainstream media. It's not something one can ignore. And I think progressive-minded people, critical thinkers, understand that if you care about society, if you care about democracy, you have to care about the problem of the media. And that's why I I tell people to support FAIR, donate to FAIR, support independent journalism, and, and as you use the academic term, problematize the media. It's not neutral. We've been speaking with Jeff Cohen. He's policy advisor at Roots Action. They're online at rootsaction.org. He's also author of the book Cable News Confidential and founder of the media watch group fair thank you jeff um you know for build building this ship we're still sailing on and also for joining us this week on counterspin thanks janine <laughs> thanks to you and jim and us who've worked there for decades deborah who've kept the ship floating thanks a lot jeff And that's it for Counterspin for this week. Counterspin is produced by FAIR, the National Media Watch Group based in New York. If you missed part of today's show or you'd like to hear previous shows, you can find shows and transcripts on our website, FAIR.org. That's also the place to sign up for our newsletter, Extra. The show is engineered by Alex Noyes. I'm Janine Jackson. Thanks for listening to Counterspin. Counterspin.